progression into the rites of crucifixion and yeah which is the seventh yeah and the mechanism, mechanism of mercy yeah, yeah. but um, it's interesting too because the next thing that i wrote was the path of light and sound which to me is yeah. really amazing which is, you know that's um the sikh uh, the sikh uh, gurus speak of it as the path of light and sound which is exactly how it occurs in the mystical planes um, but, um, you know, the subtitle there is the intake of the power of transformative suffering so that the path of light and sound may arise within the energetic signature of the soul. I bet a lot of people did not realize that we all contain energetic signatures, but we do. <laughs> we do. And so, you know, the uh, crucifixion, the rites into the crucifixion. The crucifixion is the death of the karmic self. This is the death of the mortal self. We have to undergo the crucifixion in order to be able to rise, ascend, and create again something newer, something greater. And so, in so this, we're, we're getting into the esoterici. The esoterici, absolutely. The, the, the symbolism of the crucifixion, the cross. Yes. And, you know, but again, you're being, you're being taken into this mechanism of mercy, where you're actually learning that there is a mechanism here. Um, and um, that when uh, souls are moving and working within the confines of that mechanism of mercy um mercy can become manifest within your own soul and within the souls of others as well um and you know mercy being the operative function of god's love so we have to always look at mercy as the recovery point because we will suffer many falls and we have to immediately pull ourselves back to the mechanism of mercy, which is repentance, picking ourselves back up, trying again. You never stop. You have to repent, get back up, and try again. And understanding that, um, you know, the way I wrote it was, you know that is the god's love which reaches to all creation in a somnolescent echo of the mystery of restoration into all reaches of the universe and that's what the mechanism of mercy is it is the restorative function that we uh, partake of in order to recover from our errors our falls and place ourselves back into the thrust of eternal life and so very important in that regard so you say the the cross represents the earthly life and mm -hmm. the nailing of the cross represents surrender to the divine will and the cross is symbolic of the soul's journey in that the fragmented soul personality must die to contain the christ the higher mm -hmm. self 
and the will and matter of God. Yes. Yeah, I wonder how many people think of it that way because that is the esotericy, you know? Well, I mean, where um, I I'm working on a book right now called The Lord of the Redemption, which goes into what happens beyond the crucifixion. And that is the thrust which occurs above and beyond the crucifixion of the soul. And it has to do with the divine feminine, which is creation anew. But we won't go there right now because that's not what we're covering. But well, there is um, there is more beyond that crucifixion because the old must die to make room for the new. Um, Why is the good thief of the crucifixion the guardian of the ritual? Well, because it was a, I don't know exactly what I'm going to guess based on just what I saw. Um, I would guess based on what I saw, it was a, a reward for this um, act of repentance that, um, and humility that he exhibited on the cross shortly before his death. So it was a reward. You know, I've talked a lot about how we go through uh, where we're asked to do things in the mystical spheres and then we are given rewards for some of those actions. And I believe that that was probably a reward for um, what he did in repenting and in his act of humility at the moment before he died. But they call him the guardian. Mm -hmm. so I, I see that he gets the rewards. I mean, because we're, maybe we're, because usually a guardian is like something that's, he's there and then we need to, just like in a mystery, there's a key laying there, but that's not the real key. We have to find the key ourselves, right? So I think there's something in that mystery of him being the guardian, because it seems like that's us though too, right? It's like, there's the, the bad thief, that choosing death, and there's the good thief, that choosing life. life. And so maybe that's why he's the guardian, because he's choosing life, and that's why we should, we should be led by him. Yes. Well, but at the same time, again, not led by him. I mean, you know, in his choice, like that's the choice that we should make because we're not. Right. We're not we should Jesus. make that same choice. Yeah. Right. There was a, a great act of humility in the last moments of his life, which we would all do well to emulate, you know. Mm -hmm. um, well, and here's something from uh, The Soul's Divine Journey by Sri Gary Olson. It says, when the soul comes into the orbit of the spiritual essence called sound, this divine current becomes audible to the ear of the soul. Light is knowledge, but sound is the original spiritual essence of which knowledge is a mere part. Light alone will illuminate the mind, but only sound can deliver the soul back to its original homeland. Both knowledge and spirit are needed to bring soul into its own homeland. So this is, in essence, a perfect description of the path of light and sound. And what, it, what does that mean to us? You know what I mean? Not entirely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, because like in the, uh, the Sikh religion, they call 
the path of light and sound, that which energetically transforms the soul to a higher state of being. Um, it's not something for us to understand, right? It's just something for us to be, you know, imbued within. Travel. To travel. And experience. Yes, but what he's, what he's pointing out here is that the orbit of the spiritual essence is experienced as sound in the mystical sphere and that knowledge is experienced as light that light illumines the mind but only sound can deliver the soul back to its homeland so the light is the the knowledge and the wisdom but sound is the current upon which we travel back to god so the path of light and sound, the reason it is both is because they both require the other to complete the full task of imbuing the soul with both knowledge, but also there is a return, a literal return, which is both spiritual and spiritually physical, and that the soul is actually moving through the spheres to this higher place its homeland which within the bosom of god it also speaks of light being an aspect of sound right so yes they're both uh, aspects of one another but uh but light comes from sound so well i'm not sure where what what um well, Did you just, pull that out of the chapter somewhere. Yeah. Um, well, the spiritual essence called sound, this divine current, becomes audible to the ear of the soul. Light is knowledge, but sound is the original spiritual essence of which knowledge is a mere part. Light alone will illuminate the mind, but only sound can deliver the soul back to its original homeland. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to wrap my head. Maybe I could get my head out of it here. I was going to so, say, don't try to wrap your head around <laughs> it. I want to understand. Do that. Stop understand. it. <laughs> so, so light is knowledge, but sound is the original spiritual essence of which knowledge is a mere part. Somewhat. But I think you're missing the point that it's making which is that sound is actually a mechanism of travel well it's saying light alone will illuminate the mind so we need that but only right. sound can deliver the soul back right. to its original homeland okay so i'm gonna so light is like is, is a way for us and to understand to uh be able to even know that it's there so to speak yeah so that we can then be delivered. Because so, if it's just like, oh, we're like, oh, I don't even understand it. It's really a great vibration now. This is not. <laughs> so I guess it's a way for us to have knowledge about what it is. I'm just trying yeah. to, you know, sorry, I'm just thinking out loud. It's cool to think out loud. Um, it's, it's important to understand with, um, with light and sound, you're dealing with, two elements that power a spiritual force so the light power is primarily knowledge the sound power 
is um, a traveling energy. Um, everything in the mystical spheres has a tone. Every place that you travel to has a sound. They all have different inexpressible levels of light. Um, and so, you know, we, we are looking at the sound again as a divine current, which means it is an emanation, a moving thrust that goes from God to man, back to God. This is how we learn then to travel amongst these uh, places which are our original home within the mind and the body of God, the spiritual spheres. Um, so it, I think what, what I'd have to just say is be careful about trying to wrap your mind around things too much because it is by being too focused on understanding something intellectually that actually blocks you from having true understanding or true wisdom because these things are currents, they are emanations, they are energies. And in order to, you're not gonna understand them in a way that makes sense to a physical mind. It will make sense to the spiritual soul when you are there and experiencing it. And you'll be able to bring that understanding into this world, but you not, won't necessarily be able to explain it. Well, I, I kind of get what you're saying from this next thing that I wanted to okay. relate to you is uh, sound is the exclusive heritage of the saints, while light alone is predominantly the heritage of religious orders and metaphysical endeavor. So that to me actually kind of, without you know being intellectual about it, just the feeling of that, that this sound is the exclusive heritage of the saints, okay. I can get, you know, just feel what that is. And then while light alone, knowledge, is predominantly the heritage of religious orders and, and metaphysical endeavors. And so just that, I kind of, without even trying to think about what that means, it makes me feel that there's something to contemplate there. Like, yeah. Oh, so, and I feel better in the contemplation of that, you know, and whatever that does mean, because I can't know what it means. It's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. That works for me better, I guess. Okay. Light or knowledge will enlighten the mind, but cannot deliver the soul to the portals of the heavenly consciousness. For light is simply a derivative of the mind, where sound issues forth exclusively from the soul. The saints of all times have emphasized both light and sound are necessary to secure the highest realization and thus the light and sound teachings are classified as the teachings of the saints. Have you ever heard of George Cavasilis? No. Nope. You know, cause I've listened to everybody on YouTube. It's like people are <laughs> asking like, how'd you find Marilyn Hughes? And I'm like, because I've, I've sought everywhere. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then just, you know, yeah, if you seek long enough. But George Cavasilis talked about different universes where it's not like our universe, where it's just all sound. Yeah. Or all light. Tone. Tone. All light, all tone. Have you experienced that? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, yes. I mean, that's um, what we're actually talking about here. And, um, and there are even higher and higher expressions of that beyond it. Yeah, much higher. Yeah. So yes, that this is the beginning, so to speak. You know, I wonder if you can talk about the significance of the number four. Um, you talked about it in this chapter, um, ex expresses the quaternity, the four planes of nature, uh, four pillars of heaven, and the Egyptian mysteries. So, and it's, it's the oldest symbol of the resurrected God. Um, uh, this is from the Dictionary of All Scriptures and Myths by uh, G.A. Gaskell. Um, and so, you know, the, the cross uh, uh, has a lot of symbols in mystery schools and in mystery experiences. So the number four expresses what's called the quaternary, which is the four planes of nature on which the incarnate God is crucified. And I was really, uh, I was really interested that you also spoke about the Tet pillar, the Egyptian Tet pillar in regards to the number four. Yeah. Um, well, the Tet pillar is also one of the uh, symbols of the four planes as well, um, which is Egyptian, as you mentioned. Um, and it has to do with the four pillars of heaven in the Egyptian mysteries and the oldest symbol of the resurrected god um but, you know all of this goes into you know the differences between the latin cross um the different crosses have symbols within them of the higher and the lower worlds the symbol uh you know the upright beam is often referred to as a symbol of the tree of life um uh, you know the the beam as it goes downward is uh, a symbol of the aspiration of the soul. Um, and then again, the four kinds of wood represent four different planes, um, you know? And so, but these, this, he goes into this whole thing, which, you know, the divine life imparted in mortality to the quality of hope or sense of the real with a, you know, a capitalized R within. Um, so he's speaking, um, and again, in Seth, the son of Adam, father of Noah, the symbol of hope. Um, so the, um, the divine life is represented in these four planes of nature. And the four planes of nature are symbolized in the cross. And the cross has many manifestations going back from the ancient Egyptian Tet pillar to the crucifixion of Christ. But then there's all these different forms of the cross, the Latin cross, the Celtic cross, all these different forms of the cross, which have different variations of that meaning. But these four planes of existence, uh, the four planes of nature, um, um again it has to do with the higher and lower natures so we're talking about the um vibration 
of the immortal versus the vibration of the mortal, which is below. And so that's what these are. The irony, when you go to um, the uh, much higher level, um, and you're dealing with, okay, well, what goes beyond the crucifixion? You're moving into the divine feminine. Then you're going to understand that the crucifixion itself is a pivotal event in the spiritual life of the soul. So it's not just a pivotal moment in Christian history. It's a pivotal moment in the life of the spirit in the rites of passage. You have to allow the old, rotten, dung, stinking thinking, the, the misperceived ideas, the delusions, the um, things of that nature, you have to let them die in order to be able to allow a new birth to continue. Um, there are, in nature, we see that there are many uh, species which the seed must die in order for the plant to grow. Um, the caterpillar must cease to exist before a butterfly can emerge. These are all symbols within, his, within nature that symbolize the actual spiritual journey that we all have to travel and um and again then you know when you're going into the eighth mystery which is the pyramidal initiations the book of the eights and the mystery corridors which is to transcend the seven realms of the physical world and to achieve the eight the immortal and to receive permanent inscription into the book of life it's a, along the same lines again where you are continuing to be uh, thrust from the mortal to the immortal. So the soul proceeds into the initiations and rites, and of necessity, you have to pass through a series of passage in order to be received into the book of the eights. In the book of the eights, now, you know, seven is the term of completion of the karmic journey. So the book of the eights. What does that mean? Well, that's when we're transcending this mortal. So what is the eight? Eight so is the, well, that would be beyond the earthly. Yeah, so it's the immortal. Yeah. So once you've completed the seven stages of the below, which is the karmic fulfillment, it's the seven chakras, you even have another chakra that you will grow and develop during this rite of passage which is the eighth chakra, which is your connection to the immortal. Um, the book of the eights is really just another term for the book of life. So the book of the immortal, the book of the eights, the book of life, what does it mean to have your name inscribed on it? It means that you have attained to immortality. That means you've attained to immortality in this lifetime. That means when you cease to exist here, you don't cease to exist. Every other lifetime that you've had has been mortal. You did not achieve uh, inscription of your name into the book of the eights. Why? 
uh, because you remained a fragmented being, a mortal being below the immortal. So in order to achieve being into the book of the eights, you have to become immortal. So a lot of what's happening here is a lot more of the deeper understandings. You have to go into the deeper understandings of many of the uh, world religions, uh, the prophets, saints, mystics, sages, and ascetics in world religions. This is where the knowledge of the pyramids is going to be knowledge into eternal time. The Book of the Eights was shown to me as being contained within the empty sarcophagus at the uh, Great Pyramid. And that when you are received into the Book of the Eights, then you will see the sign of the Eights, which is the all-seeing eye above the pyramid. And the all-seeing eye is indicative of this internal spiritual vision. You will go through, there is a lot of rites of passage in relation to the proper understanding of the male and female energies, masculine and feminine, and bringing all of it to the balance. So that, so, I mean, to get a better, just a quickened understanding of what that means, you know, the feminine energy has a lot to do with creation. Whereas the masculine energy has a lot to do with management. And so getting to a proper balance between these is uh, very specifically geared so that the soul can come in contact with the creative potential, but also the ability to bring something into the ground, which is the management capability of the soul. You also talked about the relationship when it comes to male and female, um, the relationship between strength and beauty. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, well, no, I mean, I don't remember that just right off. So tell me what was that um, in relation to that you well, want me to Like the beauty, talk? well, beauty is like, when you think of uh, men, sometimes we think of, you know, just brawn and strength. <laughs> but it's, it was spoke about, you spoke about in this chapter about beauty being like a, a higher octave of strength. It's, it's strength, but it's in now the form of, of beauty. So it is a form of strength. Yes. Um, and I see what you're talking about here. The, uh, the strength and beauty are, you know, strength is the masculine, the beauty is the feminine. Let's talk a little bit about the eighth mystery. Okay. You want to? So the eighth mystery is, uh, can you read it off? Because I like the way you read it. Okay. Well, the eighth mystery is the pyramidal initiations, the book of the eighth and the mystery is it, corridors. Is it, is it the pyramidal or is it the pyramidal? Well, you know, I mean, you could call it pyramidal. <laughs> but it's pyramidal to me, but, you know, whatever. Okay. Nice. <laughs> you know, well, pyramidal. You know, so, so that, you know, you're dealing with parameters, you know, and then the pyramidal is dealing with pyramids. And so, you know, you're kind of dealing with both, you know. <laughs> well, let's try a little different approach. Like I've kind of had my nose in my notes and uh, you've had your nose in your book a little bit. So let's, let's just pull back because I think one of the great things about the way you and I, you know, converse and connect with each other is we're connected. And so I think uh, our notes in the book a little bit, and, and as I, you know, we took a little break and 
as I was talking to you about it for some reason, because I like, I'd pray to like get out of the way and not be like, oh, you know, it has anything to do with me. And for some reason I was feeling like the first seven of the mysteries that we went through in the introduction that it was like, it was, I was doing a little bit of like me and like, oh, I'm doing this stuff. I don't know what that was about. So it's like, hey God, let me get out of the way, man. Let's just, so let's just, um, let's just jump in off the cuff. And cause I know you know this material very well. And let's just talk about the eighth mystery. Okay. Yeah, so this is where you're going into the, the stuff that relates to pyramids, ancient Egypt, the Sphinx, um, there are hidden mysteries to all of it. Um, in the, uh, the pyramidal initiations, you're going to be seeking out the Book of the Eights, even though you may not know it at the time. <laughs> you just, you're going, that's what you're heading for, but you may not know that that's where you're going. And, um, you know, the Book of the Eights, in my experience, was uh, given to me um, in the empty sarcophagus at the top of the Great Pyramid. And the Book of the Eights is the Book of Life. It is, um, you know, the Book of the Immortals. And um, so, you know, when we're talking about what the seven is, and we've talked about the seven a lot, uh, even in the Mishnah and the Jewish Kabbalah, there's the seven levels of heaven. Um, uh, there's a bunch of other stuff we'll talk about near the end of the chapter explaining. Well, actually, we'll just go there. Why not? Um, you okay. know, the seven, the seven is, um, is, a, is, a, is an important number in a lot of the ancient religions and a lot of the ancient rituals. But what the seven is representing that I want people to understand is this is the karmic path. Once you go into the eight, you're walking into immortality. So everything seven below is in relation to mortality. Um, but some of, the, some of the things that you see, I'm going to read from here the, the, about the number seven in different traditions. So beyond the Jewish tradition, um, which has the seven levels of heaven, and there's all the different things that you see. Um, there is a, a great deal in the religious system. So you have the seven chakras, seven seals, seven heavens seven spheres, seven firmaments, seven virtues, seven vices, seven deadly sins, seven hermetic principles, seven days of creation, the seven churches, seven spirits, the seven stars, the seven seals, the seven dooms, the seven vials, seven personages, the seven trumpets. Uh, so you see, see a pattern here? Um, now, then when you move into the other religions, you have uh, some of these things that people may not be as familiar with. The Sermon of the Seven Sons, which was given by the Buddha. Uh, the Seven Evil Spirits of the Ancient Near East. These are um, contained in these very fascinating old texts that I have. It's a two-volume set of the Ancient Near Eastern and Far Eastern texts. Um, so we forget that some of these things are definitely pre-biblical. Some of them go back to ancient Egypt and before, you know. So the seven tablets of creation, uh, which are attributed to ancient Babylon. Uh, Seven-headed dragon of the ancient Hindus. So just a moment here again, thinking, what is this seven? These are below 
immortality. This is the mortal realms, the karmic um, planes, the seven cosmic principles of the Rosicrucians, the seven qualities of eternal nature by Jacob Bohm, the seven great princes of the heavenly hosts, the archangels, seven paths of the mystery religions, and the seven creations from the Hindu Purana, and there's more, there's lots more. Um, but what does this tell us? So what, why is this seven so important? And why is it the book of the eights? Why wasn't it shown to me when I was given this book of the eights? Why wasn't it just told to me, this is the book of life? Why was it important that it said the book of the eights? <laughs> because eight is the turning point from mortality to the immortal garment that's when the soul is transforming from a karmic birth to a an eternal birth karmic flipping now to an eternal birth what does that mean what, do, what am i doing with my hand here when i say that a karmic birth i'm i'm indicating a limitation the seven and the below this is a karmic birth there is a limitation a wall an eternal birth means that all potential lies above, right? You see, so the, the, the difference between the seven and the eight is um, as big a difference as you can possibly have. And the seven creation. is like a ceiling of the yes, world. Yes, it is. Exactly, I love that. That's the exact right word. It is the ceiling of the mortal realm. And so when a soul finds their name inscribed in the book of the eights, it means that they have transformed this lifetime from a karmic birth to an eternal birth. So now their existence is no longer uh, just an existence of a personality, uh, a karmic configuration. And so what happens then? What happens next is um, you see... Uh, descend before you the all-seeing eye. Why now, is this? Before we get into the all-seeing eye, I just want to say for a second that it almost seems kind of unusual that there's all these, you know, ceilings, as we said, these confinements. It's almost like something's trying to keep the soul to keep continually cycling karmically yes. by saying like, yeah, seven, man. And so people are like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to balance the seven chakras. I, I've reached, or I'm trying to reach the seventh. Once I do that, though, you know, it's like, yeah, but guess what? You can do all that, but you're still going to be recycling and recycling. But it's almost like it's nefarious in a way. Like something's trying to keep us. Well, here. it's a limitation that we place upon ourselves by refusing to move beyond the seven. And the seven is that, that um, number of the mortal world. And once you hit the eight, then you're dealing with the immortal so it changes everything, just as in the previous mysteries, we talked about how uh, entering into timelessness changes everything in the worlds within time. It's the same concept. So everything is changing then, it changes completely. Uh, it is transformed into something that is a temporary birth that is very fragmented and very small and very limited to something that is eternal where all potential is now possible all potential is now possible 
and literally before it was you know it's like a bug under your hand you know <laughs> you can't can't do nothing with that the bug ain't getting out he's just gonna hang out there but you know so this is where you are entering into a lot of the mysteries of other world religions tribal cultures a lot of the rituals of passage in this arena you are going to go through a lot with ancient egypt but you're also going to be going through other phases and checkpoints in time um, where you know uh, moments of revelation that are very relevant for your soul to understand and that's kind of what you have to do in moving forward so there is a great deal um, you know going on here there is a lot also in this in this particular phase um, we are dealing a lot with the the real balancing of the masculine and the feminine and so we have to understand what that means and that goes uh, much deeper taken much deeper into that so you know so the expression of the feminine energy the, on the basic level we have uh, creation creativity uh, the feminine energy is nurturance the bearing and the upbringing of life itself the male energy is very much on the level of managing uh, things um, and so the male energy can actually have a tougher time um, moving through some of these ritual passages uh, because they have to uh, be able to bring aboard so to speak some of that creation energy that comes from the feminine the divine feminine which in its essence is the holy spirit so um but at the same time here is you know so there's catch catch points for both the male and the female energy so with the female energy what they require is they need that management because they can get very caught up in this these wide bursts of creation um, but unmanaged it can be very unfocused and it might not move in the proper direction or in the direction um, of future growth and so both of those things have to come into a level of balance in order for the soul to be able to properly move forward and so you know i mean even whether you're female or male in your incarnation isn't necessarily going to tell you right off the bat what your uh, energy configuration is because there are men who have strong feminine energy naturally and vice versa women who have strong masculine energy and um, and so it, there's a great deal of variation in how that manifests. But in order to move through these mysteries here and these rites of passage, then you will be taking on board aspects that are not so natural to you. So you have to inculcate things that are not, um, that you don't currently have, which is, you know, the spiritual journey and the rites of passage. It's all about taking on board energies that your soul requires um, and it continues and continues and continues but the reason why this is such a flip why this is so important you know the it's because 
because you literally at the birth point of going from mortality to immortality to where you have this limited potential to all of a sudden everything is potential. All things are possible now. That um, is a catastrophic moment in the life of the soul. And so that is a lot of what you're going to be dealing with in this eighth uh, mystery. <laughs> That's amazing. And so what, uh, what comes after the eight? We have the here, there, and always? Yes, we do. You know, and the here, there, and the always is, uh, well, you know, this is one of those um, uh, rites of passage that is really difficult to put into words. Um, when you experience it, you are going into a very transcendental, above the physical world, beyond creation kind of uh, place. So you're literally like floating in this uh, ether, like environment. Uh, it's like almost watery in its substance. Um, and it's very almost ghostly in that sense. And, um, but what you, you know, the, the point of it is to attain the ability to receive the knowledge of the energetic truth, which lies behind every action, interaction, or object or person. And so in these rites, you're going to be discovering uh, those types of things. However, in the here, there and the always, we are dealing with um, allegories to specific uh, places in the construct of perception. Um, and again, let's remember, I'm not sure if we did mention uh, in the eighth mystery, that the descent of the all-seeing eye, once your name is inscribed in that, the book of the eights, the book of life, the book of the immortals, that descends and, you know, the all-seeing eye is, and the entrance of it is this revelation that you are now able to see through the many eyes of existence, of the universe, of reality and that applies here in the here there and the always um you know in the here which what's going to happen in this rite of passage in this particular rite of passage although this is i'm speaking of one but there are many that will occur during this phase but in this particular rite of passage that we're speaking about you will have to choose between the here the there or the always and you know, you're floating around in this watery, ethereal, glazed, very otherworldly. Um, and you have to make a choice. And very often it will happen as a majestic voice from the heaven will come and ask you, what do you choose? The here, there, or the always. The here is representative of staying where you are on earth here right now in this particular fragment. Um, the there is choosing to cross over into the fourth realm. And the fourth realm 
is the overlapping reality over the third, which um, we, we all kind of refer to the third and fourth realm as this mortal realm. The fourth realm is like this spiritual counterpart to the third dimensional existence that we live here. So choosing to go to the there would be choosing to go to the direct afterlife of a human being, which is fourth realm. Choosing always is choosing timelessness. And the way that I wrote it here, which I think is important for people to hear, choosing always is to accept responsibility for the knowledge of all creation to be attained. It contains within it the energetic impetus to not only seek passage at that moment in time, but to thereby become capable of rendering an account of every action, momentum, idea, or construct according to all reality as it plays out in the physical, the overlapping astral, the underworlds, the other worlds, the overworlds, the worlds of light and life beyond this into timelessness. Choosing always is choosing immortality, except again, we're choosing it on yet another rung, a heightened rung of this rites of passage ladder. So it's, it's the next step, you know, because in the last step, you remember we were choosing, um, well, we, we went through the pyramidal initiations, but then right before that, we were choosing between the way of life and death, which is again, choosing between karmic circling or choosing eternal life, um, choosing between mortality and immortality. But again, here now we are choosing again between two gradations of mortality and immortality, but we are doing so with the knowledge that there is a greater responsibility now attached to the choice of this always because we are now taking on some responsibility for the realm. So you can't choose it unless you're actually prepared to do that. And so that's, um, you, um, you will receive the real preparation to do that as you continue, but you have to be prepared morally. Um, you have to be prepared with your intention that you are willing to take upon yourself that responsibility, that you have made that choice with conscious free will, that you are willing to do that. And then of course, you're gonna be trained. Doesn't mean you know exactly or have already been trained. You will go through training after you make that choice, but it is a choice that has to be made of your intent. And that intent, you know, as in all of these spiritual rites of passage, your intention is known to God. So, you know, if you go in there and you say, okay, I'll just choose always because I think it's the right choice. You know, God will know if it's not a sincere choice and you're not in that space of actually choosing and receiving the responsibility that comes with it. You see what I'm saying? Yep. And what is the ancient tonalage? The ancient tonalage 
um, I had to chant out Hada, Hada. It was, uh, you know, the letters H, D, and A, which is interesting because, you know, you would think it would be H, T, and A, but it's not. So, you know, <laughs> and so when I made the choice, the voice says, chant out the ancient tonalage. And there is this bellowing energy that comes forward through you from the Holy Spirit when you are making this decision and it's clearly within the right uh, frame of, you know, spiritual mind. And when God is accepting it, he tells you to chant the ancient tonalage. And as you do, it's like you are declaring your intent before all creation. It bellows across the sky and you are immediately thrust through the door of always. And so then you've entered into yet another level of timelessness.